Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. They hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said, What do you mean, O sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us and that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, Well, what shall we do to you, so that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. But they could not. For the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. This is an unusual prophet. Most other prophets, when you read them in God's words, you see that God calls them and they say something like, Here I am, send me. Or when God says, Who will go? They say, I will go. And now here we have the prophet Jonah. God assigned him a task. And he said, no. And beyond saying no, he determined in his heart to go the other way. He was an unusual prophet. Someone that God had sent with a message to a certain people. Jonah didn't fit the bill. He was uninterested in fulfilling what God had desired. Things to note that you'll see in, in the beginning of this chapter, 
So we know that this is a man named Jonah. There's only one ever other reference uh, in the Old Testament to Jonah. And Jesus refers back to Jonah. Um, so people who would say, well, is Jonah really historical? Do we really need to believe Jonah? Jesus believed Jonah was real. He was historical. And thus we believe Jonah was real and historical. God gave him a mission. In verse 2 you see it. Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city. It's a great city. And we learn later in this book that it is a city that would take three days journey to get through. It's a humongous city with a great task before him. And God tells him, go to Nineveh, that great city. And do what? Call out against it. Call them out. Go to Vegas. Tell them of their wickedness. Go to this great city, and your job is to call them out. Call out to them, because their evil has come before me. God says, I've, I've had it up to here with their evil. And, and here's the interesting thing. God is not saying, go so that I might use you to wipe them out. You know, God here is presenting himself as a God of great mercy. God sending Jonah to Nineveh was an act of God's mercy. He said, go to this great city, this evil city, this wicked city, go and call them out. Call out against them because of their evil. So, what does Jonah do? Yes, you know what? If God wants to save those people, I'm going to go. If God has a plan to rescue those wicked sinners, oh man, man, I'd be a part of that. Even if I just make a drop in a bucket. Maybe I can just plant a seed. No. Jonah decides to go the complete opposite direction. From where he was, Nineveh was east, and Tarshish was west. And it was three times further away west than where Nineveh was. So he sets himself a plan. He goes down and he pays for a ticket. So he's doing all the right things. He didn't just hop ship. He didn't just try to hide in cargo. He gets on this boat that he paid for. And so he has every right to be on this ship to Tarshish. And so he's heading the opposite direction. He was thinking, perhaps, well, maybe God wants to do some work in Tarshish. I doubt it. He was more thinking, I don't want to do the work that God has for me in Nineveh. He fleed. So, the first thing I want us to think about is the way that Jonah thought about how God's presence worked. How did he think that God's presence worked? Because you see, from verse 1 to 3, it says two times. In verse 3, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare, went on to it, and went with them towards Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Of the Lord. So, how did he think the presence of the Lord worked? Did he think that if I just get on this boat, God won't be there? And if I just go a little further away, that God won't be there? No, we know Jonah did not think that. But it appears that way when you think physically he's trying to move himself away from where God would have him go. And interestingly, we learned that he told these men on the boat, on ship, that he was trying to flee away from the presence of the Lord. He told them, I'm trying to get away from God. I'm trying to get away from what God is doing. And so I'm going to get on this boat, and I'm going to go with you that way. How did Jonah think about the presence of the Lord? 
that it was something that he could control. It was something that he had a, a, a decision in, where God was working and how God was working. Jonah seemed to think that. That he was going to just do his own thing. He was going to pay his fare, get on this boat. He had a place in mind, which was to the end of the earth the other way. And that's how he thought God's presence worked. God had a different plan for Jonah. Jonah started heading one way and God said, No, I, I, need, I need you to go to Nineveh. So then you read in verse 4, But the Lord, opposite of Jonah's plan, But the Lord, he did something. He showed his power and his control. He hurled a great wind upon the sea. And there the mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was pretty much breaking. So then you see how the mariners begin to think about how the presence of God worked. The men on the ship began to have this idea. So how did they think that God's worked? Well, look in verse 5. It says, Then the mariners were afraid. Each one cried out to his God. So they're on this boat. A storm comes along, a violent storm, and they start crying out to gods, little g, idols, the god of the sea, the god of the sun, the god of the wind, whatever god they think they can appease. They cried out to their gods, each of them. So this one's crying out to that god, hey, you try that god, you try that one, because obviously one of us has made a god angry. They thought... That the way the gods worked was, if you cry out to them, and then you do something about it. Verse 5, it says, they cried out to his God, and then they hurled the cargo. So they, they, they couldn't just trust the prayers. They couldn't trust crying out. They had to do something. So they started hurling cargo overboard and say, alright, we can make this thing float. If your God's not working right now, we can do this. Let's make this boat float. Throw that overboard. So they hurled the cargo over to lighten the load. And where was Jonah? He's sleeping. He's sleeping in the innards of the boat. It's so interesting because when you read the gospel accounts, you, you can't help but think when Jesus was in the boat, sleeping. And the disciples came to him and said, Lord, don't you care? It, it almost seems so parallel here. So Jonah's sleeping. So the captain says, what do you mean, O oh sleeper? Like, how dare you be sleeping? We're dying up here and we're working our butts off to try to save your life. What do you mean? You mean to sleep? Who are you? And so then they say, well, of course, this is how they interpreted how God worked, how the presence of God worked. Well, if you just call out to your God, and they, here even in the scripture, it uses a little g. They... The mariners, the guys on the ship, were still thinking Jonah had a little God. That Jonah maybe knew the God who controlled just a bit of the wind. Or maybe Jonah had the God who, who could hold the wood together on the boat. So he says, this captain says in verse 6, Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give thought to us that we may not perish. He's saying, cry out and work. Here's a shot in the dark. That guy tried his God. That guy tried his God. We tried the cargo. We're still about to die. Hey, Jonah, why don't you try your God? Perhaps, it says at the end of verse 6, perhaps the God will give a thought to us. How many people think or act in the way that these mariners did? I'll just try that. And I'll try that too. And i make sure I got it all in order. I'll try my tarot cards. I'll try these beads, my prayer beads. I'll try baptism. 
But I'll try this too. I've got to make sure I have it all just in case so that I can appease the gods. Many people will dabble in many different world religions to think they got their bases covered. That's how these mariners thought. They thought that the presence of God worked through this little portion and this little portion and that little means. They did not see God as an ever-present God. They thought that God was the, had His presence like a genie in a bottle. If you rub the bottle and you, you ask for a wish, then He will be there and He will grant you your wish. That's how they interpreted the presence of God. But what they couldn't yet see is that the presence of God, though it was painful, it was necessary in His complete sovereignty. So they began to learn about the God who is present. That He didn't need to be brought out of a, a genie bottle. That He didn't need you to do X, Y, or Z in order for Him to be there. God was there. God had caused that great wind to cause the storm. So they began to learn about the God who is present. He is present. In verse 7, they begin to try to figure out, how did this happen? How did this happen? Because we've each cried out to our gods and the storm's still raging. So we need to figure out whose fault it is. So they cast lots and the lot came on Jonah. What's amazing is that Jonah didn't just confess. Jonah didn't just come forward and say, you know what guys, it was probably me. I'm the issue. He knew he was the issue. But yet he's sleeping. Well, they think they're going to die. And then they have to cast lots. They have to go through and figure out, all right, well, it wasn't you. Jim, you're not guilty. You're not guilty, John. Must be Jonah. So they figured out it's Jonah. So then they said to him, they've already figured it out it's Jonah. They said to him in verse 8, tell us on whose account... This evil has come upon us. Who's again? They've already figured out it's Jonah, but they're still asking him, tell us, Jonah, do you know who it is? Oh, well, he knows. But what's amazing is what they accounted it as. Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. This evil. There's something wicked done against a God who controlled this sea. There was evil done. That's what their interpretation is of the presence of God, is that evil equals judgment. That they are currently being judged, and and it's because of Jonah. So then they start drilling them with questions. Verse 8, what's your occupation? Where are you from? What's your country? What people are you from? Like, what have you done that this storm has come upon us? What wickedness have you committed? So Jonah tells them who he is in verse 9. I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord. Uh, capital L-O-R-D in, in, in the English Bible is Yahweh. It is the God of Moses, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. This is the personal God. Yahweh, I am. He says, I fear the Lord. The question is, is that evident? Is it evident that Jonah really feared the Lord? Did he really tremble before God? So that when God spoke, he said, yes, Lord. Did he really fear him and revere him? There's not much evidence of it. Because he's going the other way. He says, I fear the Lord. And then he begins to tell them, if they don't already know who this Lord is, which they would, him saying he's a Hebrew and he fears Yahweh, he says, this is the God of heaven. The God who made the sea and the dry land. This is the God who's 
done this. This is the God who I have run away from. Because they said, well, what is this you have done? Why would you run from this God? Why would you flee from this God's presence? Obviously this God wanted you near and somewhere else. They say at the end of verse 10, what is this you have done? For they knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. They likely thought Jonah was a madman. Jonah, if this is your God, if you tell me that you uh, fear the God of heaven who made the sea, why would you get on a boat? You're mad. If you made that God angry, don't get on a boat that day. That's their interpretation. Hey, if you made the sun God angry, find shade because you're going to get a sunburn. That's the way they viewed how God's worked. So they would have thought he was crazy. What is this you've done? You have upset the God of the sea and now you're on a boat? But the reality is, whether Jonah had stayed in Joppa, God's the God of the dry land there. <laughs> when he got on the boat, God's the God of the sea, which has taken him to Tarshish, where God is the God of Tarshish as well. And so Jonah is indeed a madman if he thinks that he's getting away from this presence of God. He is present, not just in Joppa, and in the sea, in Tarshish, but he's present in Nineveh as well. God cannot be escaped. So then the question is, is it even possible to escape the presence of the Lord? Is it even possible to flee from the presence of the Lord? We know that God is omnipresent, meaning that he is all present everywhere at all times. He is omnipresent. David confessed this in Psalm 139. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. He's saying that if I go to the, to the heavens, that is the, in his language, the skies, you're there. If I bury myself in the pit of the earth, you're there. Like David confessed God's omnipresence. God himself in Jeremiah 23 says, Can a man hide himself in a secret place so that I don't see him? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? So Charles Spurgeon says, When we read that Jonah fled from the presence of God, we do not suppose that Jonah thought he could get away from God as to his omnipresence. But what he wanted to escape was serving in the divine presence. He wished to avoid being employed by God in this special service as a prophet. So the presence of God being here, the presence of this service, this task, that's what Jonah wanted to escape. So why did he want to escape that? Why did he want to get away from what God was doing and wanted to do in Nineveh? Was it too difficult? It seemed like too big of a task? This is a great city. It takes three days to walk across. Did it seem like, I'm just one guy, I can't even make a dent? That's too difficult? Or was it because he feared their wickedness? They were evil. The city of Nineveh was wicked. In Nahum, he prophesies about Nineveh. Here's what he says about Nineveh. Listen. He says, Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. The crack of the whip and the rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, Flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corpses, 
Dead bodies without end. They stumble over bodies. And all for the countless whorings of the prostitute. Graceful and deadly charms. Who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. That is Nineveh. Piles of bodies and swords clanging all day long. Perhaps Jonah was afraid of their wickedness. So he said, I'm not going there. No way. Afraid of their wickedness. Or maybe he thought they were so wicked, so far beyond God's reach. I wonder how many of us sometimes don't view our neighbors like that. Or certain people we see around town like that. That they are so far beyond God's reach. We may never admit that with our mouth. But maybe we admit it with our actions. Or our lack of action. We think, no, they are not the type of person who would ever hear me out. They're not the type of person who would ever listen to a gospel presentation. They're not the type of person who would ever be changed and, and love God. They would never turn themselves around. They would never give up drinking or smoking or, or sleeping around. They would never. Sometimes we might assume the same way Jonah maybe assumed of a people. That they are so wicked that, no, there's no way. So we flee the other way. What's amazing is... Here at the beginning of Jonah, there is this same call. God tells him to arise and go. Matthew 28 tells you and me to arise and go. Jonah goes the other way. Do you go the other way? Very likely. So we're very much like Jonah in this sense. Why did Jonah flee? Was it too difficult? Was it that he was afraid of their wickedness? Was it that he just didn't like the people? That he wasn't like them? And he wasn't similar to them? He couldn't relate to them? He didn't think that they would be the type of people to repent and believe the gospel? People that he didn't really get along with? Why did he not go? What's more important to ask is why did God want him to go? Rather than why did Jonah, like you and me, why did he disobey? Why did he flee? Why did he try running away from God's plan for his life? More importantly is why did God want him to go? Was God's presence not already there? When, when Jonah was fleeing the presence of the Lord, where was God present? God's presence was there from the beginning to the end. You see God present as he, as he speaks to Jonah this mission. You see God present as Jonah hops on a ship. And God is present there and says, I'm going to steer this ship another way, Jonah. And God is present there when Jonah, thrown overboard, now thinks he's going to drown and die. That he deserves it, right? He caused this wickedness to come upon. He caused this wicked storm to, to almost kill these men on the ship. So he now deserves to die. So he says, throw me overboard. The sea is going to swallow me up. I'm going to die and everything's going to be okay. But God is present when he appoints a great fish. God is present when Jonah is held in that fish for three days. God is present when the fish happens to land on the shore of Nineveh. God is present in all of that because God is merciful. When the storm's raging, I'm not sure they would have assumed that was God's mercy. When storms happen in your life, do you think, oh, God is being so merciful to me right now? Oh man, if this, oh, if this pain would just keep on coming, I feel the mercy of the Lord. No. We are quite the opposite. We think when the pain is there, when the trials and the storm is there, God 
Where is your mercy? Can you just give me a, a relief? But God is merciful in those moments. Because as we see here, as he was causing this storm, he was being so merciful to wake Jonah up. He's being so merciful even to the mariners. These guys who once had a false idea of who controlled the waves now know. It is Yahweh who controls the waves. And it's Yahweh who controls the dry land. And it's Yahweh who has a man they've called. Yahweh has called Jonah to this people. Yahweh is present. He's present in the raging storm. He's present in the rescue of Jonah. God is ever-present and active, yet His presence and His mercy varies. His presence was in a storm, and His presence was in the sea. His presence is always there, but it's always varying. At times, God is present in judgment, other times in comfort. There are moments where God brings fiery trials, and others where He brings deliverance. We see this for Jonah. So Jonah's plan was, well, if you just throw me into the sea, everything's going to be okay. But then you see, you see these mariners don't quite understand God yet. They don't quite understand the concept. So Jonah tells them, tells them what to do. Just throw me in. Verse 13, look at it. It says, nevertheless, the men rode hard. They thought, well, if we're just going to do our own thing. We're gonna, we got this, Jonah. We don't need to throw you in yet. We just got to row harder. We get it. The sea's a little rough. Let's just work harder. Nevertheless, they rowed hard to get back to the dry land. I love it. But they could not. God would not let them. No matter how much strength they had, no matter how much experience they had as mariners, God would not let them get back to that dry land. God had assigned the way for Jonah to get to Nineveh. They could not. The sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So then, they called out to the Lord. Very interesting. These men who worshipped all these false gods now are turning to Jonah's God. They called out to the Lord, you see, in the end of verse 14, and they said, O Lord, O Yahweh, don't kill us. Don't take our lives because we're throwing this man overboard and he's going to die. Don't, don't kill us for this. Don't, don't call us guilty for this. Because God, you have done as it has pleased you. It has pleased you to rock our ship. It has pleased you to design Jonah to go overboard. It has pleased you. I wonder if they really understood what they were saying. Really understood what they were doing. Regardless, they finally listened, picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and then they feared, it's interesting, they feared the Lord exceedingly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. So they knew about Yahweh. They knew that the Hebrews, so in their mind, maybe this is like, oh, we're just going to appease the God. Let's give him this burnt offering thing that we've seen the Hebrews do forever. So they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. They made some promises to God. I wonder what those were. Either way, God was there present. He was there present when Jonah was hurled into the sea. So then, verse 17, you see God's presence in mercy. The Lord appointed, such an important word, the Lord appointed a great fish. So the Lord, in mercy... 
in a different variant, appointed this great fish to deliverance, the rescue, to swallow up Jonah. This man who thought he was dead because he had disobeyed God, he thought, now's my time. I'm going to be away from the presence of the Lord, not just for now, but for eternity. But God rescued him. So Jonah, it says in 17, was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. God's presence was merciful. So then, if Jonah was to think that once he got tucked overboard that he was going to face eternity that day, what then do we make of God's presence in eternity? That's more important to think about than what is God's presence now. Yes, God is present now, as we see in the, in the storm, and in the salvation. God is present. So then, how must, must we think about the rest of eternity Will there be people away from the presence of the Lord? The answer is no. You will never be away from the presence of the Lord in heaven or in hell. The difference is whether it's a merciful presence. God is present in hell. He is the one who is there, according to Scripture, fanning the flame of the coals, blowing on them to make it hotter. People in hell are not away from the presence of God, but they are away from His merciful presence. That ought to make us tremble. It's not as though they just get off and they get what they wanted after all. They don't want God here, they won't get God then. No, they will. But it will not be merciful. It will not be merciful. So we must think about the presence of God, not just here, as we know He is omnipresent, but In the afterlife, those who think they're going to escape God's presence finally and have this party will be in His presence, His judging presence for all of eternity. Unless, unless here, while they have time, while they have a moment, while they have ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to confess to God that they need His rescue. That God's merciful presence now would so overwhelm a person to say, I throw myself upon your mercy now, so that God might rescue them. And that they may never have that separation from His mercy for all of eternity. When we trust in God and His merciful rescue, we realize that by His grace we get to be in His favorable presence forever. It's amazing. It's a gift. And so we get even a glimpse of this, a picture of this rescue that he provides for Jonah. His merciful presence, even against the man who tried to run away from him. And oh, how that should bring peace to your heart. When God assigns a person to you and says, hey, I really need you to tell them. And you say, oh, I don't think they're the type or I don't have the time. Whatever excuse may be. We look to Jonah and say, God, please be merciful to me like you were to Jonah. Give me a second chance. Bring whatever fish in my life you need to, to take me again and put my face to this people. Put my face to this place where I need to be. Because I wonder if there's any of us who are attempting to flee God's presence, like Jonah. Running away from what God would have us to do. Moving away from the places He would have us to go. Avoiding the people He would have us to reach. And to think that God is even merciful on us. 
This mercy in the whole situation of Jonah is a good reminder to us that God is also merciful to us. And he's merciful to those in the situation we're in. And those who he wants to bring the message to. God's presence is one of mercy, incredible mercy now. So let us never forget that. Let us never despise his mercy to us or to those he wants to hear that there is rescue. Let us never despise his mercy. Because imagine Jonah being tossed in the sea thinking, this is it. He may have despised God's mercy in the storm. Despise God's mercy in this journey that he was supposed to be on. Let us never be those people. What would be more benefit than rather than thinking about how we relate to Jonah and how sad that is at times, more benefit is time considering and meditating on the God of mercy. God was merciful to the wicked city of Nineveh. This great city of blood and of bodies. God was merciful to them. He was merciful towards the bystanders, the ones on the ship. God was merciful to them. He could have just crashed the ship and Jonah would have been floating anyways. And then the the fish could have got him, right? And then the rest of the men would have died because they worship false gods. But but God didn't. He was merciful to them. God was merciful to to the man who insisted on his own way. Which is probably you and it's probably me. God was merciful there. So as we think about our own rebellion towards God at times, let us remember His merciful presence. His merciful presence. And submit ourselves to it. Say, God, this situation, you have me, you have appointed it like you appointed this for Jonah. So let me surrender myself and trust that this is merciful. That this is good for me. That you have something great in store. Whether it's for that person over there, or whether it's through my sanctification through this process. Imagine how much Jonah grew up We will see as time comes and as these chapters unfold. How did Jonah understand what God was doing among these people? Let us remember his mercy. Let's pray. Oh God, you are ever present. There is no escaping your presence. God, we often try to flee away from what you would have us to do. So, that presence. But God, we know that we cannot escape and that it would be foolish for us to try to run as it was foolish for Jonah. Help us to learn from his example. Help us to trust that you have your way and it is good and it is perfect. Help us to submit ourselves, God, when we insist on our own way. Would you bring uh, storms in our life? Would you bring uh, your presence in difficult ways, in, in stopping ways, in, in judge, judgment ways, so that we might wake up. God, we want to submit ourselves to you, seeing that you were merciful to us yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you for the gospel of Jesus that even though we have been people who insist on our own way, when we are found in Jesus, when we rest in his rescue, then we are in your merciful presence forever. God, thank you for that. Help us to remember your mercy today as we fail. To remember your mercy upon the people who we do not assume need your mercy or who would reject your mercy. God, that is not for us to tell. Let us be people who, again, submit to you. 
We want this for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.